21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Hello, my man. The launch day. I know. It's, it, I, I had these big boxes when I got into the office. And they were sent from my name to me. And I'm like, I said, what is this? I had no idea. And it was a bunch of books. And I was like, oh, okay. This is feeling real now. How was your day? Skylar, my friend. My day is going very well. I uh, was supposed to spend yesterday uh, doing a pretty big marketing blitz and promotion with uh, the book coming out today. However, I ended up taking my daughter on a surprise trip to Disneyland. So we got up early, we're in Phoenix, so we flew to uh, Orange County, went to Disneyland, flew back last night, and I'm absolutely white. But it was totally worth it. She's about to start kindergarten, uh, and it's turned into a little family tradition of right before they start school, instead of being nervous about going to do something you haven't done before, get excited because getting older means getting to do new and bigger and better things, such as having your dad take you on a one-on-one -on -one trip. So this was the second time I did that uh, with our second child. My son will do it in a couple years as well. Uh, it's turned a nice little family tradition, but the timing of it is with school right around the corner and the book coming out and, and there's no real um, open days. Uh, we just went out and did it and it, it was a blast and I'm so glad I did it. But now today I'm waking up feeling like uh, I, I'm, I'm behind already. So I'm excited to record with you. This is the first time I've talked about it now that the book is available uh, and it's all good. Let's start from uh, from your journey. So after graduating college in 2007, etc. So uh, my question would be, what was going on until the launch day today? Sure. So starting back 2007, um, that's when I graduated college, and I went to college under the auspice of, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I was supposed to do. Um, so my whole life, it was get good grades so you can get into a good school, get into a good school so you can graduate, graduate so you can get a good job with health benefits and security and stability. And I did all those things and graduated in 2007, 2008, uh, there was this thing called a global financial crisis. And no one told me that there would be a financial crisis that would lead to a recession that would lead to a lot of big, safe, stable companies laying off all of their employees. Um, at the time, I, I was new, so I wasn't paid as much. So I lasted through two rounds of layoffs. And then the third round, I didn't. And I was, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but maybe some people have called Up in the Air with George Clooney. Um, that's what happened to me. It was a professional consulting company that came into these corporations and just laid off people in mass. Um, so I have a fondness for that movie because it was very, very spot on. So I came out of that thinking, okay, I did all the things I was supposed to do. 
I really didn't like it. I hated my job. Um, right after I got hired, they sent me out for two weeks to do a training program. By the time I returned, the person that I had been hired by that I was supposed to work for left for more money at another company. So they kept me on board, but I inherited about <laughs> oh three to God. four new bosses instead of one boss. Um, so I remember having dreams at night thinking about, okay, I want to quit. I don't even know how to quit. Do I have to quit to all of the bosses? Can I quit with just one? And will that person tell everyone else? Like, like I used to get anxiety about that. So when I got laid off, it was like getting broken up by someone you didn't want to be with anyway. It hurt, but you were also happy that it was behind you. Um, and I came away from that just thinking like, I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. I just don't want to do that anymore. I didn't like the inefficiencies of the big corporations and maybe just the one that I worked for. Maybe they're not all that way, but um, it gave me kind of the courage to go out and fail on my own instead of fail doing the things I didn't want to do. And I think that was very beneficial for me. And I think maybe something like that's happening this year for a whole new generation. We'll see. Um, but I came out of that thinking, okay, I, I, I'm going to move back home. I've got college debt. My dad was sick at the time. Uh, so I'm just going to go home and figure things out while I help take care of my dad. Um, and really didn't like living at home. Um, I, my parents loved it. They had a blast, but I just felt like such a failure that I was still living at home. There was a stigma with that. So all I wanted to do was move out. I was going to stay and not move back to California. I was going to stay and help my parents in Arizona. Um, so I figured out a way if I bought a place and rented out two rooms that I could cover my mortgage payment. And I worked real hard and bought a condo and rented out two of the bedrooms to some friends from high school. And we had a great time living there. And within a month, I looked around and thought, you know what, if I moved back home and rented out my spot, I'd actually be making money. And this whole thing was just to get out from living at home. And I realized that this could this is a real way to make money. And I'd read a lot of books that proved that you could do it. But until I did it myself, it was real. It was one thing to read about. It was another thing to do it. Um, and this was a time when the housing market was crashing. And there was a lot of people getting kicked out of their homes. Foreclosures were very prevalent. Um, and I was starting to do a bunch of research and met some people and wanted to get into the buying of foreclosures. And that's kind of where my pivoted. I, I went and started buying real estate at a time when no one wanted to buy real estate. It was, I, people looked at me like I was an idiot, uh, but I was getting really cheap properties that were houses for so much cheaper than anything I'd ever saw living in California. And these were fully built houses, three bedrooms, two baths. That would have been a, a dream to have where I was living previously. And the first one I did, second it goes up on the rental market, it scooped up because there's a lot of people who had been kicked out of their homes, needed places to live, but they had bad credit now. And these were parents with kids in schools and want to stay in the school district. And I would read things on the news and the newspapers about the headlines, but then on the streets and really talking to people and seeing the dichotomy of what was really happening. And there was a lot of people that just couldn't find homes because they were all tied up in the foreclosure process. Um, and I realized like there's a huge opportunity here and this is going to work as many, as many as I can get my hands on. I was able to get four of these until I was, I, I had my dad co-signing on mortgages um, because I had no history, no experience. I hit a point where the banks wouldn't give me any more money, no matter what. And a lot of it was to do with things I didn't know until I read Michael Lewis's books later about how screwed a lot of these banks were. But I took it personally. I'm like, oh, they're, even though I'm making money, they're not letting me do this. So I learned about hard money, which was 18% interest on short-term loans. And it allowed me to buy these properties for cash, fix them up, except I couldn't hold them on that high of an interest loan long-term. The money huh? didn't make sense. 18%. And this was, this was 10 years ago. So our 13 plus. And but it was short term and it's high risk, but, and only for a little bit amount of money. So 
I couldn't hold these as rentals, but I could sell them to other people that had a lot of cash that wanted rental properties. Once friends and family and, and other people in the industry saw what I was doing, they could just basically buy a rental property in a box. I did all the legwork. It was ready to go and here. So I turned my business into a, here, I'm going to fix up this property. I'm going to get a renter in it. I'm going to make sure it's stable. And then I'll sell off this cash flow property to someone that wants to buy them. And that was working really well up until Blackstone came back to Phoenix with $2 billion of cash and said, we're going to buy everything. We don't care what it costs. So a $70,000 house at auction overnight went to 140,000. Oh it didn't God. make sense in my, in my, um, and, and with my numbers, what I was working with, that was small time for them. It made a ton of sense. They just wanted they had to put their money somewhere. They wanted to buy these. They're going to hold them for 10 plus years. How fast can we get them without having to deal with a 30-day close? So they put me out of business in a sense, but it more just looked around the, the world and said, okay, Blackstone is now doing this. That means A, I was onto something and B, the market's going to come back because they can't build new houses until all of these are sold. The, the big aha moment for me was the first one I bought. I went to get it, um, get the insurance on it and they insured it for like 120 when I bought it for 70. And I said, no, no, I just bought it for 70. Like, I don't want to insure it for that much. They said, well, if it burns down, it'll cost 120 to build mm -hmm. it. I was like, wait, it's costing me less to buy a home than it costs to build it. This is less than what it, I was like, this is insane. Like they cannot build another house until all of these are gone. Um, so I was onto something and I put all my money behind it and it proved, it proved, I mean, it came back way faster than I ever expected. I thought I was going to do something for 20 years because I was 20 years old. I had time. Um, so when the market came back and the house was getting bought up and I realized, okay, there's about seven years of people who just stopped buying houses because they couldn't. There's families being formed. People are getting married, people graduating college, getting good jobs. Seven years of that was just kind of on the sidelines. So I kind of realized, okay, I think people are going to want to buy houses again. This is going to uptick. I'm going to pivot and go and help first time home buyers. And I was someone who in that real estate world had, was too young, had no experience. I was a kid. And a lot of that was true. But the difference was, is I was a 25 year old who had bought and sold over hundred houses. Um, so I had personal experience of doing this thing. So instead of me being young as a weakness, I turned that into my strength of, okay, I'm someone who can relate to other millennials. This was back when millennials were like really hated on and was someone who said, hey, not only can I relate to you and know what you're going through, I've personally bought and sold houses. So I've got youth and experience where others don't. My competition at the time had uh, really big fancy offices or really big expensive websites. And I had neither of those and didn't want to invest in those. So I just decided, hey, the people I'm trying to work with are on Facebook already. I'm just going to put out content on Facebook. And it was looked upon as being lazy by not going out and hustling and going out and knocking on doors and holding open houses. And I was at an age where I had a young baby at home and I was busy. I don't have the time to commit to a lot of those things. I looked at it as if I spend an hour on a piece of content on Facebook, that could reach 10, 100, 1,000 people within a week. Whereas if I dock on doors all weekend, I could maybe reach a few people. So the numbers, again, it just looked at it as like the numbers don't really make sense doing that. I can leverage my time better on Facebook. And that's what I did. I went all in on Facebook at the time and built our sales from 7 million to 20 million in one year without spending any money on marketing. And it was just through growth and organic reach um, and, and that essence. And then as we continue to grow, I walk, I, I took less of my time was on real estate. More of it was on engaging with clients, generating leads, educating others, building a network. And one day just 
took that division within my real estate company and spun it off into doing that type of marketing for other companies, helping build them from, from zero to a, a lifestyle business that works for them. Um, all under the same principles where it wasn't as easy to go to Facebook because now there was competition and it was a real thing. Um, it wasn't looked down upon at the time, but it was really about, okay, based on what your experience is, based on who your clients are, based on where your clients are spending a lot of their time, what's the highest ROI for you as an individual to be spending your time and then go all in on that? Um, because that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of people, especially today, is where do I even begin? There, every time I like think I'm going to go on one product, all of a sudden I hear there's two new um, competitors. There's a TikTok, there's Clubhouse, there's new features on products. It's like, it's too overwhelming. I don't even know where to start anymore. So either I'm someone that's doing a little bit of everywhere, not seeing any results, or I'm someone who's not doing anything anywhere because it's too overwhelming. That's where I'm at today as we come to launch day was that's who this book was for is here's that guidebook to go from zero to one, because there's a lot of stuff out there about how to like dominate on platform. X or Y. Those platforms change all the time. So it's hard to maintain that. There isn't really a good structure out there being like, all right, where should you be spending your time? How do you simplify this process so it's not overwhelming? And the biggest challenge that I took was how can I write a book about social media that doesn't become outdated in six months? Mm. And we did that by basically focusing on the core principles rather than the specific techniques that change week to week. What are those core uh, core principles? So the, the, the easiest way to understand it, I think, is by understanding that when television was invented, it took a while for people to get TVs in their houses. Once enough people had TVs in their houses, companies realized we should start advertising to them. Mm. The first television commercials for quite some time was someone in a radio booth reading a radio ad, but on camera. And that's what they put on TV because they didn't know how to treat this new, crazy, absurd platform called television. All they knew was how to dominate on radio. So that's what they did. They just put the radio commercial on television. That reminds us a lot of what we see today. Um, when Facebook started getting bigger and added video, most people were just posting links to their YouTube channel or Ford Motor was putting their F-150 commercial on Facebook and wondering why it wasn't going viral. And it's the same <laughs> things that keep happening is you have to appreciate the new platform and, and what the platforms are capable of. In a sense, they all allow you to either uh, read them, listen to them, watch them, or look at them. Whatever it is, it's it. Whether it's a billboard, whether it's a radio, whether it's someone posting um, a declaration of something on a church steps hundreds of years ago, or whether it's a TikTok video ad popping up in your space, you're either looking at it, reading it, watching it, or listening to it. And that's what every platform is today. They're just niched down into subcategories and sub and subgenres. So once you understand that, it's easier to say, okay, I've got a visual looking business. I hate being in front of the camera. It makes me nervous. Um, our customers are awesome. And a lot of them are of this age group that happens to be spending time on Instagram. Well, then all of a sudden you go from having all of these platforms to pick from to now one or two that you could pick from that make the most sense for you based on what your business is. Showing the behind the scenes of your product being made, showing beginning to end, showing before and after, showing customer engagement is something that even someone with very little skills could do and dip their toe in knowing that that is what makes most sense for them. If they're just hiring their niece because they're 22 years old, fresh out of college, and they know how to do all that digital stuff, and I put that in quotations because I hear it all the time, 
and then wonder why their social media doesn't work for their business. It's because their social media person doesn't really understand their business. They might understand the social media, but that is basically easier to understand and comprehend than your years of experience building whatever your business is. So the more you're able to kind of go deep into that and utilize that to your advantage, the the better off you're going to be with your business and with your marketing. In your new book, you're writing uh, about focusing. So what do you mean by... uh... You need to narrow your focus. Yeah, you've got to narrow your focus to grow your social media, to grow your business, to grow your reach, whatever it happens to be. And I've heard in some of your previous episodes just talking about the importance of focus and and it's and it's never been truer. And by focus, it, it's there's a lot of things that come into play when you can do anything. It's hard to do anything. So you have to give yourself some structure and the people that give themselves structure are the ones that are able to enjoy more of the perks in life. And that is whether or not you have a disciplined diet or even disciplined exercise regimen, you're disciplined with your finances. And it, it sounds boring and unsexy to be disciplined in those things, but those are the people that are living the sexy lives. And that's what makes it really exciting. Um, so the same is true for your business. And, and if you look at it on a company aspect, The most successful businesses in the day, take Amazon, who does literally everything. They didn't start out by doing everything for everyone. They started out by selling books online. And there was a lot of reasons that they chose books online, but they were able to use that to leverage into newer and newer categories to now become everything for everyone. Uh, Under Armour didn't try to compete with Nike from day one on every single sport. They created a compression undershirt for football players to wear under their pads and then grew that into a multi-billion dollar business that competes in all sports. So by trying to do everything from day one, you're setting yourself up for failure. By dominating in one niche, whatever its subcategory is, if it's strong enough and has a big enough demand and audience for it, you can then grow that and leverage into a lot of different things. So the, the, the big counter to a lot of people being afraid to niche, especially in their business where they don't want to ever turn down business. They're afraid of saying no to a potential. And all of a sudden now they're doing things that aren't that comfortable with just to try to please a customer where they're going to end up not pleasing the customer because they're doing something they're not good at in the first place. And then they, they're too busy to accept good opportunities in other places because they're trying to stretch themselves too thin. That mentality within business is the same as trying to create a presence on social media by doing too much in too many places and trying new things, you will either run into burnout and over overexert yourself, or you won't see the results you want to see in the places that matter, or you're spending too much time on vanity metrics because your competitor has a viral TikTok video. Mm. And then you start losing out on actual dollars coming in through your Instagram because customers aren't getting their questions answered. So the focus is, is never been more important because it's cheaper and easier to do all of these things we've always wanted to do. It really comes down to that self-discipline of saying, okay, here's what I need to be doing. And it's easier to do that if you've got a a guide, a guidebook, a plan, a strategy that supports that. Because anytime you try to do something new, you're going to run into those learning curves. You're going to hit those walls. Things aren't going to work. Something's going to go wrong. But if you have the confidence that what you're doing is the right thing, then you're able to overcome those. Instead of saying this first time you run into a wall saying, okay, see, that's why it doesn't work for us. I'm going to go do this other thing now. And then you never see any progress anywhere. From your point of view, what what what's the future of using social media? It's almost impossible to predict because of how reactive everything is. 
Sometimes it's a little easier and maybe I'll be proved wrong in, in 18 months. But when Clubhouse came about during my writing of this book, I just left it out. I, I was just like, you know, I understand it's live audio. It's the same thing. It's just like radio. It's just like podcast with a live element. Um, I get all those things. To me, it's more of a feature than a company. Um, six months later, every single big company seemed to have that same feature added to it. So sometimes things come and go and it's easy to say, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I see that one. The future of social media is really interesting to me because I think every new generation is really trying to resist the previous generation and a lot of things. So even if something is awesome and amazing, you still kind of fight that and try to go to the other side. The pendulum always kind of swings from one side to the next. Um, with social media, it, it's easy to point and say, yeah, these have addictive personalities. These have addictive traits. Um, it's really gamified. I log into Facebook today and I've got notifications that give me a bolt of dopamine, but they shouldn't be notifications at all. It's some person I haven't talked to in six months. Um, it's their birthday or something. And, and, and I get a notification for that. Facebook understands that people feel good when they get those notifications. I say that because the kids that grew up with their parents dying of lung cancer because they were smoking are the kids that grow up never touching cigarettes. So if we've got a generation of, of parents that are tied to their phones and they aren't looking up from the dinner table and they aren't engaging with their kids, we might grow up with a generation of children that are way more excited about going out and experiencing things, staying away from tech, avoiding it altogether. There's so many positives that come with social media and new tech and there's ways to embrace it. Um, but without being conscious of it, you can really go down these rabbit holes that uh, can suck up a lot of your time by consuming your attention rather than providing you value. Um, so when I think of the future of social media, I mean, maybe this is just a blip. Maybe maybe we get a handle on things. Maybe we have better um, awareness about mental health and, and what it's doing to us when we get these little dopamine spikes throughout the day. What that does when we experience real joy, does it take it away? Does it add to it? Um, who, who knows? I, I don't think I can predict that because there's too many variables at play. Um, but what I do know is that while a lot of people are busy chasing what the next big thing could be, they ignore the current big things. And the current big things is like, like YouTube is still so underrated for most businesses. If you spent more time on YouTube and less time trying to work on your about me page on a website, you'd see some real value add there. Going to where the people already are rather than trying to get them to leave to come to your website. Uh, those are the types of things that excite me the most today is how underutilized a lot of these major uh, platforms still are today. And what's the Skylar's future? My future is exciting. I've got two awesome kids. I've got a beautiful wife and we've built an amazing life for ourselves. And I was actually having this discussion on a previous podcast, but I've, I'm really aging out of the years of all in 24 hour grind sessions because it's really exciting for me to wake up early with my kids and walk them to school and pick them up. Um, everything I'm doing now is building a lifestyle business for myself or lifestyle entrepreneurship. I don't even have a name for it, but it, it's really not trying to build like the biggest businesses and biggest companies. It's building the company that is right for me, that takes less of my time and, and I can leverage for more growth because time has ever been more exciting for me. Being able to kind of come out of lockdown, hopefully officially someday soon, but um, everything I want to do is less about trying to build huge and more about trying to build right. And I think there might be a lot of people out there that want the same thing. So the biggest thing that I don't want my book to kind of 
the the narrative to come out of it is just how to how to do more all the time. It's really how to do less and achieve more or achieve the same um, with with less effort but bigger results. If you want to use it to to still burn both ends of the candle and go 24 hours a day, like it'll help, especially. Um, but I don't think that's a requirement anymore. I think if someone has a side hustle that they want to turn into a real revenue source, this book is really going to help them. If someone has an entrepreneur uh, tendencies and they're the type of person that kind of starts 10 things at once and never really sees real results, this is going to help them kind of, okay, let's do this one first. And then in year two, you can open up this next one and really kind of lay yourself a, an outline that'll work really well for you long-term. Uh, if you're a small business owner who's been building your business and you feel like you're so invested in it that it'd be dumb to walk away from it, this book will show you how a lot of business owners are creating extra streams of income that then become new business revenues that then lead them to leaving their original business altogether to go all in on the new endeavor. Uh, a great example of that is, is a lawyer who I know that was working in family, um, family law. And she would see these mothers show up to courtroom. They didn't have money because they didn't work. Uh, the, the husbands were leaving them. They had the money, the bets, lawyers, and these women were losing their kids in the courtroom for small little technicalities. So she would walk out of the room and, and when the court would adjourn and basically just go onto YouTube with her cell phone, make a video saying, hey, if this happens to you, here's what you need to do. And she just started giving free advice on YouTube over and over again, using nothing more than her cell phone. And within a year, she was getting new business from her YouTube channel that was making her, like, her legal business grow, but she was also growing revenue on YouTube. And now she had the opportunity to walk away from law together, go full in on YouTube, or take a mixture of those two and go teach other lawyers how to the girl of their business on YouTube. She just created new revenue sources and new potential businesses out of just kind of getting started and not stopping and watching it grow. And I think that's really exciting for the person who's like, I'm in, I've got 30 years of experience in law. I, I it's too late for me to start over. I can't, I'm way behind. I don't understand these things. Meanwhile, your 30 years of law experience are so much more valuable than whatever TikTok with 100,000 followers that guy has, because what you have is way harder to achieve. And you could basically not be good at TikTok, but be the best lawyer on TikTok and use that to your advantage. And that's a better advantage than being one of the hundreds of thousands of, of young people on YouTube or TikTok that know how to grow an audience, but don't have that experience, don't have those skills to actually make a business out of it. One thing I would ask anyone right now is to go and buy this book or really buy this book and share. I mean, we're doing it for just 99 cents on Kindle for the first week. It's not an expensive book. We've cut, I spent over a year writing this. I spent half a year cutting stuff out that just didn't need to be in there. You can consume it in an afternoon. If you have someone in your life that is uh, growing their side hustle, is a small business owner, is an entrepreneur, this is really the ultimate guidebook to get started. with a clear path towards what you can be doing to do less, um, less of the things that don't matter and more of the focused, we call it green time, the things that make you green, the things that if you just spent four hours a week doing these things, you'd be just as successful as you're working 40 hours a week. That is really, really valuable. 
It's easy to get stuck being busy, feeling like you're productive. And this book is a way to kind of declutter your digital life um, and treat it with, with, a, with a business focus. Um, and I'm really excited about that. So you can get this directly on Amazon, anywhere in the world, ebook, hardcovers, uh, paperback, uh, or visit the website, get more information, skylarvine.com. Um, I'd love to connect with anyone as well, especially if you're coming across this book for the first time. We are going to turn this into a podcast and kind of grow this message of how can different industries actually do less and achieve more? How can you work less hours, but more focused and have the same results? This is something that I've never been more excited about exploring. And this is just day one. Thanks for listening. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.